Colossians 2, 8 to 23. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of this world rather than on Christ. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and you have been given fullness in Christ, who is the head over every power and authority. In Him, you were also circumcised in the putting off of the sinful nature, not with a circumcision done by the hands of men, but with a circumcision done by Christ, having been buried with Him in baptism and raised with Him through your faith in the power of God who raised Him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the written code with its regulations that was against us and that stood opposed to us. He took it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you from the prize. Such a person goes into great detail about what he has seen. And his unspiritual mind puffs him up with idle notions. He has lost connection with the head, from whom the whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it to grow. Since you died with Christ to the basic principles of this world, why as though you still belong to it? Do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These are all destined to perish with use because they are based on human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship and their false humility and their harsh treatment of the body. But they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. You can sit down. Let's pray together. God, we have heard your word read. We've been thinking on this passage last week and this week, and we pray that your spirit would use it in our hearts, in our lives, in our minds. Not just in the coming week, but in the coming years of our spiritual journey. And God, I ask that the words that I speak today would be helpful in in clarifying what this passage is speaking of, and that I wouldn't speak anything uh, that wouldn't be helpful or wouldn't be accurate. So help me as well, in Christ's name. Amen. Well, last week I made you work hard. It was a, uh, it was a challenging, a challenging uh, task we had before us. 16 verses in 35 minutes, going through them, and, and not just easy verses either. They were complex verses. There was a lot of intricate stuff there. And I know I made you work hard. It was kind of the, the heavy lifting week. If you wanted to use an image, you know, it was kind of the hard hat week, right? But I did that for a reason, and that's because I wanted to set us up for this week where we could take off the hard hat, so to speak, and I could take up the shepherd's crook, the shepherd's staff.
because as I look out on the landscape of Christianity or Christendom, I see all sorts of trends and things that resemble the very issues that Paul was warning against here in the passage we've just read. So I want to take time and be able to just kind of go through what are some of those trends that I see are alarming. They're things that, as, as I've grown up as a Christian, I've seen friends who professed Christ, who have been disqualified, who have wandered from the truth and been carried away captive by these very things. And so I come to you today with an earnest desire to say to you as a pastor, be careful of these things. And I say be careful in two different ways. One is I want you to guard your own soul. Now, some of these things you may never encounter or you may never find tempting. Others of them you will find tempting or you will encounter. But I want you to be careful that these things don't take you captive. But I also want us to guard our own church. I'm not above the warnings in this passage. And we together, collectively, need to make sure that what Paul is calling us to is what we give ourselves to. So, today I want to share with you six evangelical trends that I want you to be on guard against. Now, no message that I've given uh, so far here has scared me more than this message. Scared me to give. So the first time I came in view of a call, you know, the first time I preached as a pastor of the church, our first Sunday in Colossians, you know, this, this passage has actually scared me the most. And the reason is, is because what I'm doing today It'd be very easy to just kind of choose my own hobby horse, things that I don't like in Christendom or something like that, and rail against them today. And I don't want to do that. I don't want you ever here listening to my opinion. So I, I've been on my knees in prayer, asking God over everything I'm talking about today, hoping that exactly what I say is the very things that Paul is trying to draw out here, that God, by His Spirit, is drawing out in our passage. I think of, um, I think of, in light of that, I, I want to get things exactly right. I want to be precise. And it's why I've taken two weeks on this passage, and this is why we had the hard hat on last week, because I wanted you guys to do that work together so we could understand the passage, so that when I say things today, you have a good base understanding of the passage. Now, if you look through our passage, last week we, we highlighted four different verses that kind of spell out the, the common practices of these Christian look-alike teachers. So we saw verse 8, where they have a, a, a coherent philosophical system, and yet that coherent system of belief is hollow and deceptive. And it depends on tradition. They prop it up with pointing, you know, drawing it, saying this, this has roots in, in deep historic tradition. And then... It's based on these basic principles of the world. That is, the ABCs of how our culture works, the, the intuitive way our world, or the culture around us thinks. It's, it doesn't challenge those assumptions, these, these false Christian teachers. 
And then we saw in verse 16 that there's a fixation on things that are rooted in the Old Testament but ultimately now have found their fulfillment in Christ. So they look to the Old Testament and demand certain things or draw on certain things that the New Testament says aren't binding on us anymore. And then we saw in verse 18 that they have this connection to the spiritual realm or the seeming connection to the spiritual realm. So they talk about angels and their their deep reverence for the spiritual realm like that or, or they go on about visions or things they've seen. And they have this kind of uh, imposed humility about them. And then we saw in verses 20 and 23, or 21 and 23 particularly, that there's an appearance of outward piety. I'm not going to touch that. I'm not going to taste that. I'm not going to handle that. And then they, they, there's an outward display of humility and devoted worship, severity to the body. But it's just an outward thing. It doesn't have anything that ultimately can, can shape the heart. But as we went through all four of these traits, we saw one thing that united all of them. And this is the important thing to grasp. The one thing that united all of them was that all of them were a distraction from Christ. At the end of the day, none of these, these teachers and these different practices, what they do is this instead of unfolding the Scriptures in a way that reveals Christ. So that's the core problem with all of these things. We have a game that we play uh, with the kids, one of the kids' favorite game. It's called the Disappearing Game. And uh, they give me some small object that they place in my hand, I close my hand, and then they blow on it, and when I open my hand, it's gone. And it appears somewhere ridiculous, right? And... Uh, um, Of course, the key to the game is the blowing. You see, when they place that in my hand, I immediately remove it with my other hand and uh, and have them blow. But I build up the blowing like it's a really big deal. That's where the magic happens, right? So they're all, you know, so they don't even notice what I'm doing when I pull that away. And and I guess I'm a very amateur magician. Anybody in this room would be able to see through what I was doing. But I guess that's pretty much the standard means that magicians use. Distraction. So that you can't see the sleight of hand that's going on. And I think that's that's the issue here, right? So these different things that we're going to describe are are distractions, that are meant to kind of focus your attention. Oh, wow, that's spiritual, that's neat, that's good. And not realize that what's been taken away, what's disappeared, is this rich, Christ-centered teaching of Scripture. So when I go through these different uh, trends or items that, that I want us to be thinking about or on, on guard against, what you have to always evaluate is... Has Christ been removed? Has Christ, been, uh, has Christ disappeared? Are these things that make it look really deep and spiritual and Christian and yet have caused Christ to disappear? Now, I'm not saying that these teachers will stop using the name of Jesus or using the name of Christ or saying things like gospel 
I'm not saying that, because you probably won't be fooled or distracted by something that just totally rejects Christ. Rather, what will happen is, what will disappear is the biblical teaching, sound biblical teaching that takes you through the Scriptures in a way that reveals the Christ of Scriptures. So that's what is the common trait that we need to be on guard for. Now again, I know that's a lot of, um, a lot of preliminaries, right? I've kind of taken a few minutes now on in the introduction before I dig into those. But I, I think you understand why I'm, I'm doing that, why I'm lingering on that. Because when I go through these things, you might, you might come across something that resembles some of these trends, and yet there at the heart of the ministry is an exposition of scriptures and of Christ. Don't reject it. Don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. What I'm calling on you to do, really the reason I'm fleshing this out is because I really want you to realize these are real dangers that Paul's talking about. He wrote it 2,000 years ago, but as the Holy Spirit inspired it, it was a message for all of us into today. And so I want to just flesh these things out and say, see, they're real temptations today. I'm not going to give an exhaustive list. You know, I'm just mentioning six things. I, I thought of others in my study, and, and probably you'll think of others as we go. There are certain trends or pockets within Christendom that smell an awful lot like what Paul is warning against here in our passage. So I'm going to describe six of them. And if you notice, a Christian ministry calls itself Christian that resembles any of these descriptions, I just want you to be warned, it may, it may, not necessarily, but it may be a distraction designed to keep you from noticing that Christ has disappeared. All right? So let's go. First... Beware of any teaching that tells you you need to follow Old Testament practices that the New Testament clearly says are fulfilled in Christ. Beware of any teaching that tells you you need to follow Old Testament practice that the New Testament clearly says that are fulfilled in Christ. So I'm not telling you you need to be like a brilliant biblical theologian and understand how all the Old Testament laws relate to the New Testament, relate to us as Christians. But if the New Testament comes along and says, clearly... This is fulfilled in Christ. It's no longer binding on Christians today. And yet this teaching or this system emphasizes the practice and calls on you to practice these things. Beware. I think of a popular Christian teacher in the 80s and 90s. He's a conservative Christian leader. And he called on his followers to not eat pork because he said there was something about the Old Testament that it would, be, it would be better if you didn't eat pork. When the New Testament clearly says, you know, in the vision that Peter has, or in Jesus' teaching about what makes a man clean and unclean, the New Testament clearly says that we are allowed to eat all those things as New Testament believers. Or I even think, and maybe it's just a hint of it, some of the newer trends that revive dietary, Old Testament dietary restrictions in the name of, healthy eating or Christian dieting. I'm, I'm concerned about some of those things. But probably the most insidious example I can think of is a pocket of Christians who call themselves Seventh-day Adventists who say that we must observe all the teachings on the Christian Sabbath in the Old Testament today despite what Jesus taught about how he is the real meaning of the Sabbath, despite our passage here, which deals with the Sabbath and says it's a shadow meant to point to Christ, despite what the author of Hebrews says in Hebrews 4, 
It says in verses 16 and 17, Therefore do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink, Old Testament dietary law, or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon, celebrate a new moon celebration or a sabbath day they are a shadow of the things that are to come but the reality is found in Christ second don't think that just because a certain church or christian experiences a seemingly heightened connection to the spiritual realm through visions dreams or special revelations that they are necessarily to be trusted So let me just kind of say that again. You meet somebody or you go to a church and it seems like this person, for whatever reason, has this deeper connection to the spiritual world or this church does. So you walk into a church service and you find people speaking in another language that nobody understands. It's like, wow, that's that's a spirit-given language. Or they're, they're standing up and they're saying, I've been given a vision, I've been given a prophecy and speaking, different people are standing up and doing this. Or, or, um, or somebody talks about how or, or you sense that there's a real awareness of the spirit world, of angelic beings and demonic beings and, and awareness of these things. And you think, because you're in that service, and you say, wow, this is a really spiritual place. They're really in tune with the spiritual. Or this is a really spiritual individual. But ask yourself, in this service, Is it helping me understand the Scriptures in a way that reveals Christ? And if it's not, don't be snookered by their seeming connection to the spiritual realm. I think of uh, um, in college, I was was hosting an all-night prayer vigil for the Christian community on campus in our dorm room. And... uh, it was on a Friday night, and it was about 3 a.m., and there had been a, a group of, you know, kind of people had been coming in and out. There's a group of us that were just praying and praying. So at this time, there were about four of us in the room, and somebody came up and came in, and uh, we were in the middle of a prayer time, and so he kept his head bowed and joined with us in the prayer. And then when it ended, he said, <clears throat> God's given me a vision, a prophetic word for you, James. You are a hobbit of hobbits. And that was his prophetic word about me. I still haven't figured out what it means, but it might explain why I like to eat so much. But he joined us for another five or seven minutes of the prayer meeting, and then during the next prayer season, he left not to join the prayer vigil again. And there can be, and you know, even, even I think I was discerning enough to, to realize what was going on there, Maybe the example of hobbits was the, was the telltale sign. But um, I was discerning enough to, go, to realize what was going on. But there still was a sense like, wow, he just, there was just this voice saying, this is a prophetic word for me. This is exactly what, what can pull people in and make people think, wow, there's something special here. But that's what Paul warns against. So look at verses 18 and 19. Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you from the prize. Such a person goes into great detail about what he has seen. And his unspiritual mind puffs him up 
with idle notions, but he has lost connection from the head, from whom the whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it to grow. So that's the second one. The third trend that I see, third, beware of a form of Christianity that packages all the things that the world values in a Christian box. Beware of any form of Christianity that packages all the things the world values, but in a Christian box. Now, um, I'll say that the Christian religion, and I use the word religion loosely uh, because it's it's the one true religion that God changes our hearts. I don't mean it in kind of a stale, man-made religion. But the Christian religion offers many things that the world will find attractive, right? It transforms us into people who are kind and loving and gracious. It values justice and caring for the poor. It, uh, it offers hope and life. And, and when we follow God's ways, there's blessings that come. These are all good things that Christianity offers. But, but if you take those things that, that are the good things that the world offers and just kind of camp out on those things and emphasize them, pump them up on steroids and say, this is what Christianity is and package that as the full package and not all the other teachings of Scripture that might make people a little less comfortable or might challenge the assumptions of our culture, beware. And I see this taking two different forms. One form that generally appeals, at least in the Western world, to people who are a little bit older, and one that generally appeals to people who are a little younger. So let me just talk through the first one, the one that appeals to people who are a little bit older. It's, it's, uh, I'll call it the health and wealth gospel. These teachers come, and they promise you all the things that the world thinks are cool, you know, to have money, to have uh, high self-esteem, good self-esteem, to, have, um, to be free from sickness or disease, to have success in your career, good income, healthy family, all these things. And says, if you just believe in Jesus, this is what's available to you today. And it emphasizes those things over and over and over, over and against all the other teachings of Scripture takes a few promises randomly extracted from God's Word out of context and builds that as almost the end-all be-all of Christianity. As if our best life is now and not for eternity in the new heavens and new earth that God is preparing. As if all the blessings that God promises His children is for this life, which Jesus said is a life characterized by taking up your cross. Paul says to live is Christ. Oh, they're not going to talk about those things. The other form of this is one that picks up on um, some of the things that kind of the, uh, the urban youth culture values. So we're going we're to talk about how Christianity uh, is concerned about social justice caring for the needs of the poor, working for the good of our community, um, engaging the arts and engaging culture. Your own personal narrative and your journey. We'll talk about all those things. 
but will either avoid altogether or de-emphasize some of the teachings that are less popular with that same culture. So, right doctrine, absolute truth, the exclusivity of Christ, the reality of our sinful fallen hearts, personal piety or, or, or moral, our personal moral uh, behavior, the reality of hell. Beware of this kind of teaching that just takes the things, the basic principles of the world, the unchallenged ruling principles of the culture around us, and says, yes, that is what the essence of Christianity is. Come, call yourself a Christian and be a part of these things. You see what it says in verse 8? I'm going to just piece together a few parts of it. See to it that no one takes you captive by a philosophy that is based or depends on the basic principles of this world rather than on Christ. So that's the third. Now let's look at the fourth. Fourth, don't be fooled by religious systems' outward piety. Don't be fooled by a religious systems' outward piety. Um, a, a certain religious system might, might uh, present itself as, as valuing family values and the clean-cut image and, you know, we don't drink, we don't smoke, all this kind of just nightly, nicely put-together, packaged picture of perfection. I, I think particularly of um, a false teaching called Mormonism that its main selling point is this kind of perceived everything's together, everything's just right. And I think even Jehovah's Witnesses can fall into this a little bit as well with the way, the way they approach things. And both those religions take the teaching that the Bible has on Christ and twist it and distort it in different ways. Denying the deity of Christ or uh, making Christ just like any other human being that we can all achieve our deity, right? They deny the Bible's teaching on Christ. And yet, the people who are flocking to these religions, the, the, the main pool they get their converts from, are evangelical Christians. Because, look here, look here, piety. We have our lives together. We have good families. Everything's just right. Oh, well then there must be something good over here. And we follow right after it, forgetting the warnings of Paul. But we see some of these same trends in evangelical circles, indeed, even in Baptist circles, where certain churches are so consumed and focused on looking this way, reading this translation, Avoiding this very thing, which the Bible doesn't explicitly forbid. And they focus on these things as if that's what defines them instead of the scriptures as they reveal Christ and the gospel that can transform our hearts. In these circles, I think, I think from my own perception, that it's most often revealed in how parenting is approached in those circles. Because parenting becomes something where 
my job as a parent is to get my child to dress a certain way, to not watch certain things, to, um, to follow a certain path in schooling. I could go on. And, and I'm a success in my mind as a Christian parent if I've successfully done those things. It's like, it's like there's an assumption that my child doesn't have the world inside them, and so I need to keep the world out of them. Whereas the scriptures say we're born with the fallen world inside of us. And the only thing that can deliver us from it is the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you don't get that, you're not giving yourself to heart transformation in parenting. We're saying the gospel has to make its ways deep into my children's hearts. So again... Beware of any religious system, whether it's one that maybe the people in this room realize are are the bad religions, right? Mormonism, Jehovah's Witness, we talk about those things, right? Or maybe ones that are more subtle and in our, so to speak, our backyard. I don't mean geographically, I mean theologically. Fifth, don't follow, uh, sorry, don't allow an ascetic humility or genteel manner to trick you into thinking that something is genuine. An ascetic humility and genteel manner don't allow them to trick you into thinking that something is genuine. Now let me let you in on a little secret. People who aren't Christians can be wonderful people. Some of, the, some of the most dear, kind-hearted people, some of the most gentle, unassuming people I know are not believers. I, I, think, uh, I think that there are two ingredients that contribute to this. The first is that man-made religion, be it uh, secular humanism or Buddhism or Islam or whatever it is, man-made religion is using all of its strength, it's, it's, it's applying all of its pressure to cause somebody to be good or to be better. That's what man-made religion ultimately is about. Self-improvement in some form or another, whatever that religious system is valuing. You take that ingredient and you mix it with certain people who are, if they set their mind to something, if they give themselves to something, devote themselves to something, they accomplish what they set out to be. And you put those two things together and you can find some really good, wonderful moral people who we'd all respect. I think of people like Aung San Suu Kyi or the Dalai Lama or Gandhi. Just great examples of what it means to be standing for truth with a meekness, right? But we, all three of those, deny the the Scripture's teaching about Christ. So none of us are going to be following them religiously. And yet, I think we, look, we can see similar people in Christendom and think that because they have this humility and this, this genteel manner that we should be listening to them. Maybe we find this person is a leader of a mainline Protestant church and the church denies 
the, the, the literal deity of Christ or the literal rev, uh, uh, resurrection of Christ. Or we, maybe we find such a person in a Roman Catholic church where their church takes human tradition or the tradition of the church and elevates it to the same level as Scripture. Or maybe you find it that kind of person in a Christian cult. Well, they wouldn't call themselves a cult, but where everyone has to follow the interpretation of the Scriptures that's often idiosyncratic and unique of their leader. So we follow this leader's interpretation of the Scripture in this kind of weird, obscure way. Look, just because somebody has that seeming um, earnest meekness, don't let that distract you. Don't let that pull you away from the teachings of Scripture. And finally, beware of Christian writers and teachers who employ mystical practices to connect you to God and the spiritual realm Practices which aren't tied to the scriptures and the Christ they reveal. Beware of Christian writers and teachers who employ mystical practice to connect you to God and the spiritual realm, but practices which aren't tied to the scriptures and the Christ they reveal. I call this Christian Buddhism, um, but basically it imports all this stuff from Eastern religion and cloaks it in Christianity. So, um, you, you'll see this, you may see this in, in things like uh, where we, we're encouraged to just sit and empty our mind of all things. Where the Bible actually says we're to fill our mind with the truth of Scripture. Or you might see this in prayer where they say, okay, well there's prayer that's just kind of ordinary, but there's this higher level of prayer. A wordless prayer. Where you... And God just commune in your souls together as being to being. Where you can find no example of that kind of prayer in Scripture. All the prayers in Scripture are prayers with words. Or you might see it in kind of um, saying you need to master your body. Have control over your body through these kind of lengthy, um, intense fasts or contemplative meditation where you show your mind is is ultimately what's in control, when actually the Bible teaches no man can tame his tongue because it pours out from the filth of your heart. You can't control yourself. The only thing that can bring self-control is the Spirit of God dwelling in you. And what is the sword of the Spirit? According to Ephesians 6, the Word of God. Or maybe it's, uh, they'll take a, a, little, a short little phrase, even a biblical phrase, but it becomes a mantra. You're to use it as a mantra and just say it over and over and over and over and over till it lulls your mind into a kind of subconscious state as a form of spiritual growth or spiritual formation. When the Bible never uses Scripture that way, it's always making our minds more active and engaged in the truth we're focusing on.
But then there's verses 18 and 19. I already read, do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you from the prize. Or, there it is again in verses 23. In verse 23, such regulations and deeds have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship and their false humility and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. So those are the six pockets of Christendom that I think smell an awful lot like what Paul is warning against in our passage today. Again, I say to you, it's not an exhaustive list. You might see little traces of one of these things mentioned in a church or a Christian who's actually healthy because they do hold up Christ and hold up the Christ of the Scriptures. So take Take the whole passage in mind and let the Holy Spirit take the whole passage and just make you a more discerning person as you engage Christendom around you. Um, When Karen and I were married, uh, we took our honeymoon in northern Michigan at my uncle's uh, lake house. We drove there, so we saved money on flying and on, on lodging, and we took all the money that we saved and spent it on food, which tells you a lot about Karen and I. We ate all the nicest restaurants we could find. It was wonderful. But one of our best discoveries was this, uh, this little chocolatier in Empire, Michigan, called Grocer's Daughter's Chocolates. And she uh, imports these, this, these cocoa beans and does all the work herself. I had never tasted great chocolate until I put one of those chocolates into my mouth. Now, when I, if I eat one of her chocolates, you know, they're that big, and I just take a little nibble, just savor it. I think every day that week, I ended up taking us back to Grocer's Daughter's Chocolates. After tasting one of those beautiful, delicious, handmade sea salt caramel chocolates, there's nothing, there's no other chocolate I would prefer over that. You take, in America, the big chocolate bar is Hershey's. You take a Hershey's bar and give me a choice between that and Grocer's Daughter's Chocolates. Every time I'm choosing Grocer's Daughter's Chocolate, there's no question in my mind. You can, you can take that Hershey's bar and, and melt it and form it into whatever you want, a kiss, a bunny, whatever. I'm choosing Grocer's Daughter's Chocolate. You can package it all however you want. You can put it in fancy foil or fancy cellophane and put neat bows on it. I'm choosing Grocer's Daughter's Chocolates. You can trot out a line of endorsers. Michael Jordan can say it's the best chocolate you'd ever tasted. And I'm choosing Grocer's Daughter's Chocolates because I've tasted Grocer's Daughter's Chocolates. And I have tasted of the Christ of Scripture. My sins, which I've written with my own hand in indelible ink, my rebellion against God, I owe you, I owe you, I owe you, I owe you, because of my guilt. Christ has taken that list and nailed it to the cross and said, forgiven. My own sinful flesh, my sinful heart, which causes me to do all sorts of foul things, have foul thoughts, have foul desires, 
because of what Jesus did on the cross. It's been circumcised. It's been changed. It's been transformed. I've been given a new heart. This world that can overwhelm me and discourage me because of how broken and fallen it is. Christ has dealt a fatal blow and said He is ushering in a kingdom wherein there is righteousness and justice and love and peace and gentleness. I have tasted of that Christ. And if you taste of that Christ, all these other things that we've been talking about, at the end of the day, won't hold much appeal. Because they're taking you away from the one thing that you've tasted and you know is good. The greatest safeguard against being taken captive by these hollow and deceptive philosophies is to feast on Christ. To feast on the Christ as revealed systematically through the Scriptures. Let us pray. God, you know the heart with which I have offered these warnings. But I pray that it wouldn't be my warnings that are heard, but it would be the warnings right here in your word that we read at the outset of the sermon. So Spirit, cause us to be a discerning people who are protected against some of these errors. And I pray that we would know the sweetness of Christ and because of that feast would not be drawn to anything else. In Christ's name, amen.